Hello, and welcome to the Human Instrumentality Podcast, your guided deep dive into the seminal animated series, Neon Genesis Evangelion. I'm Ian Corey. And I'm Joseph Schaefer. In this episode, we discuss the final two episodes of Neon Genesis Evangelion, how they wrap up the story, their groundbreaking style, and what they say about the show's central themes. If you've made it this far... <laughs> then there's nothing left to spoil in the show. Maybe. I'm not even sure if that's true. I'm not certain what's true or not, but we're going to try to find out. And in so doing, we're going to make some oblique references to the movie End of Evangelion. (laughs) Human Instrumentality Podcast, Unit 13, launch. I can't believe I'm going to try and blow-by-blow this nonsense. Okay. (laughs) Episode 25, The Ending World. As a series of title cards inform us, Shinji is in anguish over killing Kaoru, even though he says he had no choice. The final two episodes then become a prolonged series of psychedelic interrogations, with the characters asking one another questions one by one. The process begins with Shinji. Rei appears in front of him and reminds him that, angel or not, Kaoru was a person. At that point in time, Shinji cries out for help and admits that his deepest fear is that people will hate him, the way he feels that his father hated him. When he admits this, he's transported to a clouded landscape dotted with thorny branches, and Unit 1 appears and then grabs him in his fist the same way that he grabbed Kaoru. Shinji wonders if he's going to be condemned to pilot Unit 1 forever. Back in the interrogation chair, the title cards ask him why he pilots Unit 1 in the first place. He says, for the sake of others, and then admits because he likes the way he's treated as a pilot. Then Asuka appears. She reminds him that seeking the praise of others is selfish, and in the end, he's just afraid of being alone. Just as Shinji admits that Asuka's correct, Rei appears behind Asuka. Now it's Asuka's turn, and Ray will be her interrogator. Now, Asuka is interrogated. She's inside of Unit 2, and both her and Unit 2 are in the fetal position underwater. Uh, Asuka doesn't remember getting in, and she can't get the Ava to move. Asuka thinks the flaw is in her, not in the Evangelion. Ray's disembodied voice insists that Asuka is just as lonely as Shinji is, but Asuka doesn't want to be want to hear that uh, from a person like Ray, who is a doll. Now it's Ray's turn. She's confronted by the previous versions of herself, uh, the Rays that we have met throughout the show, little baby Ray and the teenager Ray that we first met before she killed herself. Uh, these two other past rays insist that the current ray is a stranger to herself. After all, she's an artificial person, an object. But ray three counters. Her interactions with others have caused her to grow into a genuine person. The previous rays insist that even in the absence of others, there is a real, original identity inside of ray, one she can't accept. Because if she did, it would annihilate the person that she is now. Ray three counters again. She wants to die. Her deepest desire is to return to the void she came from, which appears to be something like the moon or the chamber Lilith came from. 
The only reason she hasn't obliterated herself yet is because Gendo won't let her. Ray 3 finally admits her fear of this annihilation. At this moment, Gendo appears. The time has come for the human instrumentality project to begin. Bumper. Do you love me? The title cards say that instrumentality has begun and everyone is being returned into the void. In response to the card, Gendo says that that's not quite correct. People are returning to the mother that created them, presumably Lilith. Uh, mankind is becoming one being. As he says this, we see that Ritsuko and Misato have been shot dead. And now separated from their bodies, Misato and Ritsuko debate the merits of instrumentality. Uh, Ritsuko says people as individuals are flawed and terrified of their imperfections. And by combining into one entity, those imperfections will be eradicated. Misato says that forcing this on everyone without their consent is unjust. But Ritsuko counters. Isn't that what Misato wanted in the first place? Now it's Misato's turn in the chair, and Shinji is her interrogator. Shinji asks Misato what she wants, and she says to be a good girl. She had to be responsible to be a good girl because of her father's absence. But Misato hates behaving because she hates her father. She hates looking nice for other people. And then Ritsuko asks if that's why she slept with Kaji. No, Misato insists... She loved Kaji. Really? In response, she's forced to watch Shinji observing her memories of having sex with Kaji. Misato hates this. At last, she's confronted with her own voice, insisting that she slept with Kaji because in some way she saw her father in him. Misato admits it. The professional her all along has been a false front, her inner self is miserable. Back to Asuka. Now she and Shinji are interrogating one another. Asuka continually relives her mother's suicide. She keeps insisting that she wants to be independent of her dysfunctional family, but at the same time doesn't want to be alone. At that moment, the Shinji, Asuka, and Masato that have been interrogated are revealed to be actors on a stage. Another Shinji has been watching these events from the audience, essentially an empty room. He asks, quite you know, aptly, what the fuck is going on? Uh, good question. Almost every character in the show then appears uh, sort of surrounding the chair that he's sitting in, insisting that what's happening is that reality is unraveling and that this is the result of Shinji's choices, everything returning to nothing. Shinji is aghast. This can't really be what he wanted, but the others insist. Because he wanted to protect himself from discomfort, he made a lonely world for himself. One, hmm, see, here's an interesting uh, little meta note for everyone. Joseph has written one that hurts others. I think that it's a bit different than that. I think the my interpretation is that he's created a world where no one can save him from hurting himself. No one can save him from running away. At least that's how it's presented in the dub or the subtitles that I watch is that there's uh, it's he's created a world where he 
he's created a scenario moreover that has inevitably leads to death and then the complete refusal of living and therefore the escape from pain and that in this world no one can save him because what he wants is death Uh, or (laughs) themselves not only that's that's the point is like it's not only that he's made a world where no one can help him he's made a world where as he's observing other people he perceives a world where no one can save themselves either it's not just it's not just a personal hell for him he's his version of reality is a personal hell for everybody we're on the same page about that (laughs) right back to the recap (laughs) Gendo appears at last to throw one more wrench in the machine that this is only one possible outcome. There is a different possibility, a different ending. Episode 26, the beast that shouted I at the heart of the world. As the final episode of the series begins, title cards inform us that Shinji's record or recollection of the human instrumentality project is going to stand in for the rest of mankind's experiences. As the episode begins, Shinji is accosted by the voices of the other characters, affirming once again that Shinji is afraid of other people and that this pain comes from some sort of inherent gap in every person's heart. Humanity is trying to become one entity to fill in each other's gaps. Gendo tells him that this is necessary for human survival. But is it? Shinji can't seem to decide if he wants to run away from his problems or face them. Both options are painful. He eventually admits that he disregards his own self-worth as a means to get along better with others. So piloting the Evangelion is a way of him finding the approval of others. But the others point out that the issue is, he, if he relies on that alone, he will lose his individual identity. Bumper, take care of yourself. Through a combination of dialogue and title cards, the Ava pilots admit their fear of being alone and their desire for uh, the touch of others and the approval of others. Even so, Asuka refuses to go be with her mother and Shinji does the same with his father. To do so would destroy their identities too. First, they need to find self-worth, self-value. At this point, Shinji reverts to a series of sketches. His image is floating in an empty sheet of paper, a world devoid of other people. In this world, he's free, not tied down by anyone, but his world is empty and ambiguous. The freedom of an empty world makes Shinji anxious. So the animator, voiced by Gendo, draws a line, and suddenly Shinji can stand and move right and left, but at a cost, his ability to float. He's lost some of his freedom in exchange for a more concrete, intelligible world. The disembodied voices tell Shinji that he can make other choices, like change his appearance. In one smooth animated sequence, Shinji becomes an egg, which hatches into primordial ooze and evolves until it becomes an angel before disappearing again. However, even though Shinji can transform himself in any conceivable way, he can't really understand himself in the void because he doesn't have anyone else to compare himself with. 
That's the terrible part of being one single godlike entity that encompasses everything. It's another kind of pure loneliness. He needs other people, and other people make up parts of himself. Those are the pieces that belong in his essential gap. Shinji then wakes up in a parallel world where he's a normal school student in a kind of teenage rom-com genre. In this world, Asuka's his best friend. Shinji's mother's alive. She and Gendo are the parents of a functioning household. Ray's a normal person. All of his friends are alive, and they're all living a relatively normal, mundane life. We then see Shinji standing above what essentially is the set of this alternate version of Neon Genesis Evangelion. And we have returned to where he was at the end of episode 25, watching the stage. Except now he realizes that the normal world he envisioned is every bit as possible as the dystopian sci-fi world he had been living in. As the other characters inform him, the truths that Shinji took for granted, such as how unlikable he is, are malleable and subjective. The theater combines itself to the clouded world of thorny branches. And at this moment, though he hates himself, Shinji accepts that there is a possible world where he can learn to love himself. And in doing so, rejects instrumentality. The reality around Shinji shatters, and he finds himself literally standing on the top of a small planet with the other characters around him applauding him telling him congratulations the end yay we did it we did congratulations, it congratulations joseph congratulations ian <laughs> the plot's done oh, the plot is no done. more plot that's it that's the show everyone thanks for coming okay <laughs> so holy shit first things first <laughs> first things first even though the show has been getting increasingly weird and increasingly psychedelic and introspective and interrogatory, nothing that the show has done previously compares to these two final episodes. They are remarkably controversial. <laughs> they are a source of both uh, consternation in the fandom as well as a lot of analysis. And I think for a certain segment of the fandom, a lot of love. I include myself in that. I, I love these endings. I love these final two episodes. I think it's brilliant. And to establish why, I at least want to give some of my bias away. When I was first shown Neon Genesis Evangelion by a friend of mine, he showed me it in like bits and pieces. Like I didn't see the entire show in order. So I saw the Oscar Arrives episode, the dance episode, then the last three episodes. So I saw this before I'd seen most of the show. <laughs> and so I always knew that the show was going to end this way when I decided to watch it from the beginning. And that has very much, I think, prepared me to accept that this was the only ending that was possible within the show Neon Genesis Evangelion, which is also kind of the point that the, these episodes themselves are making. So... I, I'm predisposed to like these, I think, is what I'm trying to say. I like these episodes. I do. 
here's my arc. As I have alluded to in the past, I wasn't able to download all of Evangelion in a row. I had trouble finding the sources. So there was a point in time where I wasn't certain if I was going to be able to get the back half of the series. I knew that the last two episodes made people angry. I didn't really know why. And so I did the thing where you looked up spoilers for the whole series because I was like, at least I want to know how it ends. And then later watched them. And like a typical edgy, nerdy teenager, my initial reaction to the ending was negative. And I was a person who rejected them and thought of the end of Evangelion as the real ending. At this point in time, we should probably just outright say this to people who don't know. There is an alternate ending to the series, or rather a companion ending. There's a movie called The End of Evangelion. Yes. The movie is very different, and we're going to have an episode where we talk about the movie and its version of the ending at length. But it's safe to say that part of the reason that the movie even exists is both due to the popularity of Evangelion the show and the unpopularity of these final two episodes at the time of airing. Correct. There was a real sense in the community around the show, from what I can understand, having been only six when the show originally came out, that th there was a rejection that this was the, the ultimate conclusion and that there must be a real ending out there somewhere. I would like to argue that this is the real ending of the show. You can, I think you can have different interpretations about whether Neon Genesis, uh, end of Evangelion rather, is the end of the plot. And I think there's, you can have, a, that's a valid interpretation. But I think that the show as currently constructed, this is the ending of that. It is the ending of the show that we have just spent all of this podcast watching. And I think it does a good job of that. There's not, they're not perfect episodes, but they are the an appropriate ending to the themes of the show. You, I, I've seen in your notes that there is some sloppy filmmaking here, you know, that you pointed out, which I agree with. I think that the show is, is kind of loosey-goosey about drawing the line between when instrumentality starts and the... Because the, these episodes are so entirely psychedelic and so video essayist in their style the entire time that it's hard to tell when instrumentality starts. So the whole thing feels like it's taking place during the human instrumentality project, even though not all of it technically is. And that's, that's sloppy, I would say. It's sloppy. It's also, I think, the case that, as I said, there's, there's a point in the episodes where they're attempting to follow the original idea for the ending that Hideki Anno had written on a purely symbolic psychological level. And so mm -hmm. in the early half of episode 25, he feels like he needs to deliver certain pieces of information that I'm not certain he does. He needs to like begin with Shinji feeling bad about Kaoru's death. And for some reason, that feeling is what kicks off his interrogation. I think that doesn't make a lot of sense. I think the, the Ray interrogation flat out does not work for me. And I'll tell you why. It doesn't work because Ray 3's whole argument, her initial barrier against beginning instrumentality, is she's like, I've grown as a person through reacting and living with other people, and that makes me a genuine person. Mm -hmm. But Ray 3 hasn't done that. Ray 2's done that, and Ray's dead. 
Ray two is dead, right? right. So it's it's right. a it's a bad faith argument from Ray three, and it would have made more sense to me for like Ray two to like if she's gonna do that, Ray two appear to her and be like, "That's not true, that was me, not you," and have that begin the identity crisis, which doesn't mm-hmm. which doesn't happen. So I don't think the Ray version works for me it definitely feels a bit premature in ray three's arc um ray three is definitely the wrong ray to be telling us this because we don't have any connection with ray three we haven't watched ray three become a different person over time we barely even know ray three at this point even though she's noticeably different than ray two in a lot of ways and I would say that, that that sequence in general is confused. It's confusing because it's trying to tell a literal a, a literal part of the story arc at the same time of telling like interrogating Ray's character because it ultimately is about her accepting like oh why why would Ray want to begin instrumentality? I have a, another take on this, which is is Ray's death wish a feature or a bug? Because Ray isn't real. She's created by Gendo. She's not a real person. This is not supported in the show in any way, but I think it's interesting to think about the idea that she is deliberately built with the desire to destroy herself and that this inevitably leads her to starting instrumentality. The desire to not be alive, the desire to die, is one, a reflection of Gendo's, you know, misanthropic, suicidal death lust. And inevitably will lead Ray to the point where she will die so that human instrumentality can happen or she will erase herself in order to allow the, her true, the true soul that her body is a vessel for Lilith right. to come into being. It's as if we know that Gendo to an extent like built Ray and he had multiple goals in making Ray there at cross purposes, right? One mm-hmm. of One of them is keeping Lilith somewhere where he can control Lilith so she doesn't break out of her egg of her like crucifix egg and start an instrumentality without him. Right. Right. The other thing he wants is he wants to keep Yui alive in some way because her body is like a copy of Yui's body, but she doesn't have Yui's personality. Mm -hmm. So, but the other thing is like, he needs her to want to, to return to the void so that when it's time for him to do the instrumentality project, he knows she'll do it. Right. Yes. And those things are not compatible. I think some of that is because, uh, uh, again, I I grow to like Ray, but I think Ray is maybe the worst written part of the show. And I don't even know if like when he was sketching the plot, he thought all of this. He thought Ray out to the end. Yeah. So. The first half of episode 25 doesn't work for me for those reasons. Yes. I, I would say that it's imp- it's cool that it establishes the thesis of the, the show. Essentially that point being made that like we become human through our interaction with other people is the thesis statement of these two episodes. And it's interesting that Ray is the person that says it because it almost sort of says like Ray's job in this show is ultimately to get to this point where she delivers the thesis statement of the show. Not to Shinji, but to the viewers. Right. And then we get to watch the argument being laid out through the case of Shinji Ikari. You know? Correct. That's interesting. I, I agree that it doesn't 
entirely work for the reasons that you described, but I think it's interesting. And it's it's clear that the way that the show narrows its focus down on Shinji kind of proves that it doesn't have that great, as precise of a handle on anyone, any of the other characters as it does Shinji. Yeah, let's take care of the other two big characters that are interrogated uh, before moving on to Shinji and I think moving on to the real crux of what's going on. Sure. I, I feel sort of conflicted about the Misato psychoanalysis. In some ways, it's almost too neat, you know? Like, breaking it down, being like, okay, so Masato has this difficult and conflicted relationship with her father where she wants to be accepted and loved by her father but also hates her father. And so the actions that she takes in order to be accepted and loved by authority figures as a stand-in for her father, i.e. being good at her job, being a good girl, having this sort of veneer of professionalism, um, creates this resentment shadow self, basically, that desires debasement and getting, you know, railed by Kaji while, you know, Shinji watches. Like, the the sort of idea that, like, she has this hatred for her father that makes her act out sexually. It almost feels, like, too obvious, you know? Misato's the best character in the show. Now, now on this watching, I now, I now understand that Misato is the emotional core of the show and her feelings for Shinji confused though they are, are like the, the, the brightest, truest threat. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's things about Misato's interrogation that I really like. I like that she and Ritsuko sort of become Shinji's shoulder devil and angel and are like debating the merits of things. I like that Misato is the only person who like tries to point out that like you have no right to do this. Like the way that you're going about like precipitating Armageddon is like rotten to the core and that you haven't like reckoned with this like debases it. That's a mm-hmm. really good point. Even though I I wonder where it comes from from a political place in Ano's heart, but I think it is a good point. And Though she's a confused person, Misato's always the moral compass, and like it's cool to watch mm-hmm. her like be that to the end. Well, I actually, I, 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 I'm going to preempt your political inter like interpretation because I actually think that she is right that you know this is a decision that involves literally everyone on the entire planet, and it's being decided by a small band of maniacs, maniacs with a death wish and a desire to die. It's not a democratic process <laughs> that leads to this decision. So I, as a leftist, am against human instrumentality. I, the execution of the human instrumentality project seems nothing like American politics, certainly. <laughs> right now, not at all. Right, yeah, exactly, exactly. What, yeah. The interaction between banks and, and uh, electioneering, what? Small amount of crazy people who want to be God telling everyone else what to do with their lives. No one knows what that is. Right. Okay. No, I agree. I, as a leftist, am also against instrumentality, even though I feel that, like, the absence of a good faith socialist critique of nerve is maybe a weakness in the show. And now I just made all of right wing anime Twitter want me dead. Um, <laughs> well, no, I, we will get to this because I think that there's a valid conservative interpretation of these two episodes that I think actually is, is one I sort of agree with. Um, sure. Which is that you can kind of have instrumentality as a stand in for a certain type of collectivism. Um, the idea of 
what if you were able to bring everyone together and make everyone feel happy and safe and complete that would essentially destroy the individual and that this show is essentially arguing that you need to define the individual in order to take action in order to be alive you have to accept your individuality and and carry forth from that standpoint so you could look at it as like a parable about individual responsibility but i think the show also does a judo move with that assumption that we'll get to you're right i think i know where you're going and you're right i just needed to put at some point in time i needed to put out that like there's a certain jordan petersoniness about this and i yes. think weirdly enough misato becomes its talking point here and right. I, I think that you're not wrong with that. Okay. So I, I, I can't empathize with Misato all the way. And, and weirdly enough, this rolls into like part of the tell, right? Misato's interrogation is done really well because it, it understands and foregrounds that some, that, that instrumentality is not consensual. It's like authoritarian and sort of violent because she gets in this point where she's interrogating herself and she's like, no, my feelings toward Kaji are absolutely fucking valid. You can't tell me how to feel. If I loved him, I loved him. Fuck you. And then, like, her interrogator, which, like, seems to be Ritzko, is, like, the image mm -hmm. of her interrogator, is, like, okay, so if that's true, I'm just going to make Shinji watch you take it from behind for eternity. Do you like that? Right. And she's like, no, no, no. For that, I'll, 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 I'll surrender. And... While I like that it it foregrounds like the weird emotionally manipulative things that Anno is subjecting his characters to, so that you don't, he, I don't think he wants the 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 viewer to go into this and be like, yeah, instrumentality sounds like a good thing. It's like, n mm -hmm. no, it doesn't doesn't want you to think that. Misato does a good job of that. I think Anno's idea of female sexuality is warped. I think it's not warped because of him as an individual. I think it's the majority of our society and, mm -hmm. and sort of Misato gets this, like this is how people become like weird fucked up, like people who choose to do porn, bad stereotype where it's like, ah, daddy right. issues. And then I debase myself. And it's like, where's, where's the Misato that's calm enough to be like, I'm having consensual sex with a man that I care about that cares about me. And yes, our relationship isn't perfect, but we're not perfect people. So it doesn't have to be. And if I want to, I don't know, 69 or whatever the fuck they're making Shinji watch, that was perfectly fine and fucking healthy. And fuck you. Like that is like a piece that's missing. Yes. I think I agree. But to the, to the point there, the thing that I like about this sequence that, you know, it's both in the Shinji describing why does he pilot Eva? And it's for this dual reason, right? It's like because it makes others praise him and he wants to be praised. And he's, he believes that he's doing it as like a, a virtuous act to others. But at the same time, he is seeking validation for that act. Right. And that th that idea that we can be doing things for two separate reasons that are intertwined I think is a valid argument to be making. So the idea that, oh, like, yes, on one level, Masato definitely does love Kaji. We know that. We've watched the show. But it's not just that she loves Kaji. There are other subconscious, unconscious things going on in that relationship. I think that's a, a, 
a cool thing for the show to point out. It's almost like they're revealing the blueprint of the show, you know, right? by saying like, these are the, the, this is the architecture of each of these characters wants and desires, like their want versus their need and how they play off of each other. It's the show is starting to pull back itself and say, these are how these characters work. These are their problems. These are their hangups, why they keep running into these issues. It does sort of reveal the limitations of Anno's perspective on the Masato character, perhaps, that we only get to really see the slut-shaming side of the argument and not the other one in this particular case. But I like the structural thing he's he's doing. The thing that he's laying out is really, really interesting to me. I think Asuka gets an even shorter shrift in this episode. We really do not get too much new information about Asuka. What do you make of the sequence with her? The show's done, on the one hand, like Asuka as a character, her motivations are not as thought out or like nuanced as Shinji and Misato's. Mm-hmm. That's just the way the character's written. Asuka doesn't have maybe the deepest inner life. It would have been interesting if the show would have sort of like called her out to that, be like, really? This is like as deep as your fucking despair gets is you just reliving your mom's suicide over and over again. I mean, like that's bad, but really that's all that tortures you. That's as good as you can do as, as far as like self-loathing is that a little, uh, can't you be a little more creative than that? The show doesn't do that. But on the other hand, I think they did such a good job of breaking her down earlier that you don't need, like, I don't need another, three minutes of Asuka getting getting psychically electrocuted. It, it would be overkill. They've already kind of shown us this and told us this. It feels more like recap, you know? It's like saying, okay, you've already seen Asuka broken down psychologically, so we're just going to play the hits just to get you up to speed. Right. These are her problems. She, she seeks agency and independence because the idea of being dependent on another person suggests that she could be abandoned by that person, you know, Correct. bang, that's Oscar onto the next one. And <laughs> in know? fairness and in fairness, here's an end of Evangelion thing. I, I think that Anno does recognize that like Oscar is a good character and kind of gets papered over at the end and end of Evangelion gives her way more to do. Yes. Uh, and it's one of the better parts of the movie, if not the best part of the movie, it's certainly the most beloved part of the movie for Obvious, understandable reasons. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly the most fun part of the movie, and also not yeah. fun. But yeah, we'll, we'll get, get there. there. We'll get there. So Shinji, the boy at the center of everything here. It's a whole um, episode. His last 30 whole minutes. Episodes. So I do want to crucially point out that the the boundaries of who, of which Shinji is which, are very uh, deliberately played with here. But I would like to talk briefly about how episode 25 ends because it ends with this really weird meta moment where we pull back and see that the characters being interpreted are all on a stage, you know? Sure. Including Shinji himself. And at this moment, we see another separate Shinji that's basically commenting on what has just occurred on the stage. And he's informed that what has just occurred is the end. It's human instrumentality. I would like to argue that essentially what is being said is that the story of the show, everything that we have watched, the plot of the show, has all been taking place on this stage. Correct. 
that essentially this Shinji that is watching is not the Shinji is is simultaneously the Shinji of the show, but not the Shinji in the show. Right. Do you see where I'm going with this? I no, I know where you're going with this. I agree. <laughs> and so the show is over now. The show is over, quite literally. You know, the the curtains have dropped. The show is over. And now the the, the character of Shinji, the spirit of Shinji, is confronted with the fact that because of who he was in Neon Genesis Evangelion, there was no other way to end the show. There was no other conclusion that this story could reach with those characters as they were constructed. Right. It was going to end in human instrumentality. The world was going to end because he desired to run away from pain. And the only place that that can end up is death. <laughs> that is the only way that that can end. It is, it is his psychological it, it, it's that drive to run away from pain and to avoid facing the problem of being alive the logical conclusion to that suggestion is death and at this moment episode 26 then becomes how do we determine the other ending how do we reach a different conclusion how does shinji have to be different in order for the ending of the show to take place differently. That's my interpretation. I don't think our two interpretations are mutually exclusive. I don't think so Which either. Which is like one of the beautiful things about this ending. Mm -hmm. Is that like you can map all sorts of things. I also think that like episode 26 for my money is much better than 25. It's playing with a lot more. It's like... 25 still has the job of like wrapping up Ava and kind of dealing purely with the psychology of the characters. Mm -hmm. Episode 26 is pure philosophy, <laughs> except for the one, you know, alternate ending, which we'll get to. But even that I think has some philosophical value. This is, this is purely like getting down to the, the nitty gritty of like what it means to be alive. Right. Which is, it requires a lot more work. And as a result, episode 26 does a lot more work than episode 25 does. Episode 26 is also like, has is more nuanced, has more nuanced tools. Maybe we should pause for a second, roll back and talk about why episode 25 and 26 are the way that they are. Sure. Um, I think that's, that's worth, that's worth noting. I, I do think that that the fandom kind of overstates the circumstances in order to avoid actually talking about what's in the episodes. But I think it's important for context. You're correct. I, I also think you're, you're right. Like the, the argument against the literalist argument against 25 and 26 is a feint. It's an act of cowardice to not grapple with like the real satisfactory truth in episode in 25 and 26. And I'll get, I'll get back to that for a second. But obviously, Anno had an ending in mind. It's worth noting that the end of Evangelion is not literally the ending he had in mind for Evangelion the series. He's admitted that. And we know some things about the way he had 25 and 26 sort of planned out. But we know that there was going to be all this big hullabaloo with there's going to be the mass-produced Evangelions and something involving Unit 1 and something involving Lilith. And we know that Misato and Rusko get shot. Right. Like, mm -hmm. like we know that there's going to be more character deaths. We know that like Gendo and Zele have been playing this like mind game with one another. And now it's come to its head. So what the fuck happened? If you remember way back at the beginning of the series, when I gave the, the 
a lot of like research on the background of how Evangelion came to be, you'll remember that before this, Ano directed a series called Nadia's Secret of Blue Water, where he did not have a lot of creative control over the final product. And that that show sent him into despair. And it was in that despair that he conceived of Evangelion, right? So you can't, there's no Evangelion without Nadia. But one thing that he corrected when he started producing Evangelion is he he wanted much more creative control over the product that got shipped. We also know that Evangelion has like some beautifully animated sequences, which takes a lot of time. The false fan narrative is that Evangelion ran out of budget. And so they had so little money that they threw the last two episodes together as like a way to just get it done and get it out there and, and fuck it. That's not the case. They ran out of time because Anno spent so much time sending things back for earlier episodes for revision, saying they weren't the way that he wanted it. Also, he was not in the best psychological state at the time during part of making Evangelion. Like he's admitted he fell back into a crushing depression. As a result, they didn't have time to do 25 and 26 the way that he wanted. And so they sort of had to almost make them like episodes of South Park. Just as fast and loose as they possibly could because they didn't have any other option. It's not like they, right. it's not like he ran out of money because like some of the things that they do in 25 and 26 are actually pretty nuanced. It, there's the scene in 26 where Shinji goes back through like all the phases of evolution and becomes an angel wink wink and and then across and burns and turns back into a normal uh, human being. That sequence is like a lot of a lot of work. Yeah, don't let the like more obviously cartoonish style fool you like that's some really fancy animation from what i can tell anyway correct and and the other part of 26 that i really like is you get like the five minutes of the parallel reality that could have been yes where they reboot the show essentially as a a teenage rom-com um Mm -hmm. all, all of that is is like animated i mean some of it's taking cells from earlier episodes but that's a time-honored and beloved tradition in anime that's part of what makes (laughs) anime work and that's part of what makes it appealing to like animation fans is not only is it typically more detailed than western animation they the budget is sometimes much cheaper it's pretty clear to me that he threw 25 together as fast as he could to make enough time to get the parts of 26 that were important those being like the the deconstructed animation sequence and then the parallel reality dream. Like to mm-hmm. make those work, he's like, just put 25 together as fast as you fucking can. Fuck the plot. Fuck my ending. Don't even don't even try animating it. That that's why they are the way they are. Yes. I also think that they kind of justify the show being animated in this really beautiful way. Cause there's no way that this show could end this way. In live action television. Correct. You know, like think about the hoops that David Lynch has to fucking jump through to suggest some similar ideas in Twin Peaks. Like the amount of work that needs to be done to kind of create this like meta commentary of show within show on like talking about the show is so much easier in animation because the rules of reality are already so thin. So 
the, show, the 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 animation style can change with the psychology of the characters with the point and the argument that the show is making each step of the way and it feels more continuous to us so i think it's like the medium this sort of like more abstract animation style actually helps tell the point better because it frees it from having to be more realistic totally it's also him doing sort of like a love letter to his influences right like so there's very famously mm-hmm a Mary Melodies short called Duck Amok starring Daffy Duck. And it be... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, now I'm, I'm thinking about it. It's totally Ava. <laughs> it's totally... It's, this is his love letter to to that short, which becomes, in a weird way, like a like an American animated short micro-genre. Because, like, it, in Duck Amok, Daffy Duck gets in a fight with the animator. And Mm -hmm. the meta rules of Looney Tunes breaks down. That's what episode 26. And there's also like the weird reveal at the end of Duck Amok, where it turns out the animator the entire time had been Bugs Bunny. (laughs) I think Gendo voicing the animator is his little wink and a nod to that. Because Gendo's the the Bugs Bunny of this series. It's an obvious in-joke with everyone who like watches Looney Tunes or in Looney Tune fandom that like Bugs Bunny is a sociopath and is clearly the villain actually right (laughs) bugs bunny ruins every other animated character's lives i think there's a that's why i love 26 so much yeah no i think that the it's really easy to get caught up in how chaotic these episodes feel but it's cool to pay attention to a lot of the small stuff like which voices are saying which thing you know episode 26 basically takes place entirely inside of shinji but you still hear the voices of all these other characters and in the show's parlance, essentially, he's hearing the versions of them that exist within him, you know? Correct. So the voice that says, here's a restraint and draws a line on the ground, that's Gendo's voice, because that's what Gendo has always meant to Shinji is the line of restraint, the, the punishing father. And, you know, he sees these, again, these kind of repeated images of, you know, a naked Masato asking, what does he want? You know, what, what what's going to make him happy? Admonished by Asuka in similar ways. Like every time he makes a breakthrough across the episode, you know, when he realizes like, oh, that's right. I am defined by my relationships with others, not just by myself. And Asuka says like, come on, idiot. Like you just figured that out. And of course, the, all of these are representations of what these characters mean to Shinji. And that's why that they say what they say. It's all really deliberately done. And so, yeah, it's just like the idea that these are like knocked together because of budget cuts is just it's just inaccurate to the making of the show. The other thing is, is that unlike End of Evangelion, which we're going to get to, but in some ways, End of Evangelion is to me even less satisfying. And part of that is because Evangelion, the series, maps perfectly onto a five-act hero's journey story structure. This has got to be on purpose. Like, because for sure, Anno's read Joseph Campbell's Hero with a Thousand Faces. For fucking sure. And like, I'm not going to recap everyone on exactly how five-act structures work, but like, in general, you get like, a main character is thrust into an unknown world and faced with opposition and in facing the opposition they confront their opposite and in in the process of like of fighting with their opposite they acquire some sort of 
hidden knowledge that wasn't there before and then face a long, very difficult journey back into the real world, essentially. And people fuck up the five-act story structure a lot. Typically, you think that the climax, the point where like a character begins to make like the real breakthrough, is the end. That's not true. The climax, the emotional climax, is usually in the begin in the middle of the storyline. the The emotional climax to Evangelion is when he fights Liliel. Mm. That's that's the first time you get the interrogation. That's when it stops becoming this straightforward giant robot thing and becomes Shinji being aware of I have an inner life, and my inner life is not satisfying. Yeah, and that, yeah, exactly. And that's what's making my outer world into the apocalypse. That's the hidden knowledge. And that's what the last two episodes are about. Is like your weird sci-fi dystopia reality is the product of and dark reflection to your inner inability to cope with your fucking self. Yes. Yes. And that that is exactly what I'm getting at with the the framing of it being on a stage, you know, and having that degree of removal. Cause that also, you know, it brings to mind, it puts, you know, it makes us like consider Shinji as Anno, you know? Right. And the creator as looking at this thing and being like, Oh my God, like <laughs> what did I do? You know, like this is the, the end result of my like type of artistic expression. It ends in this, this horror show where everyone is completely broken inside and the world is completely annihilated like this. This can't be how it ends, you know? And so then we see this alternative ending. Once we dig deep enough, once he digs deep enough and gets to a point where he's able to understand like, oh, I need to exist in relation to others. I need to find meaning in my relationship with others, which I think is also the... Um, the judo move that it does on this idea of like an individual responsibilities. It says like, no, 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 this isn't some sort of Ayn Randy and objectivist bullshit where it's like, I'm the only thing that matters and my decisions create the world. It's like, no, they exist in concert with the rest of society and with the rest of humanity. Correct. And so then we are quite final, like finally given what both this podcast and the show has been promising for a long time fan service not to the audience but to the audience of shinji himself oh fuck i didn't figure that out all right ian got me he got me good <laughs> fan service is such a really interesting idea too because the reason people hate episode 25 and 26 i think is because we're trained, and this is a Joseph Campbell thing. You can blame Joseph Campbell and Aristotle for this, almost like those two people almost single-handedly, is we've been trained in the Western tradition of fiction to see the obligatory final act, which like if, like if you take like a writing course, they'll call the final battle like the obligatory scene, the scene which you owe to the audience is is mm -hmm. this is this last the last hurrah of darkness before light defeats it the lord of the rings moment where like you need to have the armies battle on the plains of mordor even though like let's be perfectly fucking frank you know the the rings going in the volcano no matter what right right you need it because it gives the audience catharsis 
this the release of the tension, right? Mm-hmm. That's what fan service is. Is we promise you that like we know you've been like we've been like working you up. We're gonna give you the 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 climax you you want. Right. It's all sexual. It's like. all sexual. <laughs> And the cool thing is, is that like the the end the end of Evangelion the series, as opposed to the end of Evangelion the movie, although I think they both come to the same critique of catharsis, like the end of the series is this idea that it's like, oh, I'm going to resolve the narrative question perfectly. I will not provide you with catharsis because I mm-hmm. think part of what he's saying is like your desire for catharsis. That's you wanting giant robot sci-fi world. That's not the point. The point is the giant robot sci-fi world is you running away from your fucking problems. Like, yep. if I give you catharsis, it would be betrayal. Right. It, it is the exact act of continuing to get in the Ava without having a reason to exist otherwise. You know, that is the exact problem that Shinji is running up against in, the, in these episodes is that he needs to have a reason to live outside of Ava, outside of piloting the Ava, because it is a symbiotic, parasitic relationship that he has entered with this fucking machine, you know? And it's no surprise. Like, it's it's in the text. It's all there. Like, the fact that the LCL is, like, this life-giving force, that it's it's represented as, like, a womb that he enters, you know? All of this is saying, like, you can't live in here forever. You can't keep crawling back into the womb every time things get scary. You know, you have to live. You have to live outside of that and have a reason outside of that in order to to be a part of the world. But before we get to the final conclusion uh, again, I do. Let's talk about the fan service sequence, which is the rom-com version of Ava. So, yes. The rom-com. The rom-com. Or as I like to put it, uh, Neon Genesis Archie. Um, (laughs) Yeah, this sequence is... (laughs) It really pissed me off the first time I saw it. Something about this kind of um, genre shift can really, really throw people, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think about the, the Mr. Robot episode where it, like, is... It, it becomes like a it, like an alf for like most of the episode. It turns into like this '80s sitcom. That's one of my for, favorite episodes of Mister Robot. <laughs> yeah, again, this does not surprise me. This makes sense. Like I'm seeing a connection between what what you're into, basically. <laughs> so yeah, tell me why do you, why do you love this uh, the rom com section so much? The rom com section is sort of Anno's imminent critique of anime, or rather, it's his imminent critique of speculative fiction. And he he makes like a good point, even though it's a weird like kind of like a literary critic point that I sometimes disagree with because like I like speculative fiction, but the 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 meta point he's trying to make with this is he's like the character conflict here is the important piece of the story. Mm-hmm. That's the core. I could reboot this. I could have done Evangelion as like as a rom com, and the characters would be the same. And you'd probably love them for the same reasons. And in a way, like to like the genre specific toyetic fans of the show, that's kind of like a thumb in their eye. It's it's his um to make to make like a an interesting point. This is like his last Jedi moment where it's like your parents are nobody. They're not important. Right. Mm-hmm. He's like mm-hmm. the giant robots aren't important. So that's 
that's what I like about it. And that's what's important to Shinji's character is to understand like the nature of your struggle isn't important. Like your inner struggle is the important part. Mm -hmm. Right. But I also think, yes, I agree with that. I think it's interesting because in doing so, it's also like shots fired at an entire another genre of anime. Right. (laughs) He just sort of like drive bys and like while shooting at like the Mecca anime gets like, the rom-com slice of life anime with some strays like which let's it know, also deserves co- it um yeah no it's it is a contemptible genre in many ways especially as depicted by evangelion it's so generic it's so devoid of tension right you know it's it's childish and that's the point the point he's making is that like all of these are just all of this is childish in some way it's all play acting it's all a game it's all fake you know, it's all happening on the stage, on the set. None of it's, none of it matters. You know, it's these things that like we trap ourselves with to define the state of our lives, whether that be the clothes we wear, the rooms that we sleep in, the genres that we tell ourselves we live in. Right. It's all fake. It's all bullshit. It's all a story. And I think it's crucial to that story that it's all wish fulfillment for Shinji. You know, it's right. Like in this world, his mother is still alive and is in control of the household. Gendo is a putz who can't stop reading the newspaper. He's completely, you know, he's basically um, balls are ripped off. Like he did, he doesn't have any agency in this version of the story. Asuka can't get enough of him and can't get over herself to admit how much she, she loves him and is like basically at his beck and call all the time. Ray is a normal girl that he gets to like look up the skirt of. Toji thinks he's cool. Masato is his like hot teacher, a mentor figure. Right. You know, all of this is wish fulfillment for Shinji. It is all if Shinji, like everything in this version of Evangelion is built to make Shinji happy, you know? Right. And it's by being shown that level of artificiality that he's able to realize how all of it is artificial, you know? Correct. It's fucking brilliant. (laughs) I had uh, actually like I had like a, a an emotional experience when the genre shift happened because the genre of all of our lives just shifted. Mm-hmm. Like I was living in a like dude trying to make his way in the office but maintain his youthful innocence dark comedy. Right. That was the genre of my life before coronavirus happened. We were both in a Seth Rogen kind of situation, I think. Like the not right. The, yeah, you get what I'm saying. I do. Even though I hate Seth Rogen, which like says something about like the way that I feel about my life as a professional or oh, here's where the socialist part comes in. My like need to live a stupid fucking professional life in order to exist. But now all of our genres are different. Now we're all living in uh, uh, what uh, contagion? The fucking we're all living in a Steven Soderbergh movie, right? Or a Stephen King novel? We just don't know yet. Like could be could go either way. We don't know yet. <laughs> it says something about the transient nature of reality and the degree to which like we construct reality in mm-hmm. our own heads. Yes, and so. When I rewatched that episode, I was like, ah, now this is a very wise thing he's saying. Maybe that he doesn't even realize it. 
I don't. I think to the point of the show, it doesn't matter if he realizes it or not. Like it is an object. The show itself is on on the stage. You know, this is a th- I think a brilliant point in the final moment of Evangelion is that the stage itself breaks down. Right. You know, and you come to realize that even the show that we've been watching, even in its attempts to comment on itself, is just an illusion. You know. Right. Like. There is no band, no Ibanda, you know, like that's that's what's going on here. And he's right. That is a fundamental truth about being alive is that there are material facts, you know, like we stand on the ground, we walk left and right. But so much of the world are narratives and stories and accepted, agreed upon realities that help bridge the gap help explain the gap between various people you know all of it is a narrative that is constructed in one way or another collectively or forced top down that doesn't need to be that way you know these there's the that's the prevailing feeling that i keep grappling with with uh, the coronavirus is that this is one it did not have to be this way. And it also proves that the way that things were does not have to be the way that things are in perpetuity. Other worlds are possible. Even this new other world, which sucks ass, has at least the value of proving that the previous world was not inevitable. It is not the only way it could be. There could be another way. Correct. That's the, liber- um, that's the liberating part. Yes. It's weird that you have to liberate someone by sticking them in their room for months on end. (laughs) It's weird that, like, to make a satisfying ending to the giant robot show, you need to erase the giant robots and, as it turns out, the show itself. Taking it back to animation for a second, I think that's why it's a good ending. And I do think it's a good ending. It's taken me, I think, becoming more of an adult to, like, say that. But this is a great ending to a great show. And Mm -hmm. if you want proof of it, you don't even need to look at it on its own merits. Like there's, this is maybe some things Ian hasn't seen, but I just want to like, like, let me talk about some other series that I think are very similar to Evangelion and and related to some similar people whose endings like don't work so well. Mm -hmm. I think the ending is like an overt homage to Zeta Gundam, like the second Gundam show, which I just finished watching. It's very mm-hmm. long um, and it has this rep- reputation for being like super grim and super dark. And it does what, to an extent, what Evangelion does, which is like as it gets into its final act, it like sheds all of its sense of humor and just starts killing main characters and Moss. And it ends on a literal like stage, like the characters get out of their giant robots and go into like a theater and start shooting at one another. And it's not a satisfying ending. Like, the ending to Zeta Gundam sucks. Right. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. The subtext of, like, oh, all the world's a stage and you're just playing your roles is lost by the characters continuing to play their roles. Since Evangelion, like, people who, like, were tangentially related to this show have done, like, other, like, semi-elevated but very, like, appealing to lowest common denominator super fun shows like Kill La Kill and Guren Lagan. Which I like, but all those shows try to do the thing where 
we're going to end the plot literally with the super bang up, beat up, fight the bad guy, double parter ending, and also address the philosophical debate. And as a result, I think in like all of those shows, like the end kind of rings hollow. Like the final battle is not as fun as I'd like it to be. And the philosophy seems like papered on. Yeah, no, I think I think about this a lot, not even just with animation, but with shows in general, like most endings piss people off. Breaking Bad pissed some people off. Game of Thrones pissed a lot of people off, myself included. Furious. Okay, yeah. can we let's just draw a line. I I hate to enter into the Game of Thrones discourse, but I must point this out. Um the the dissatisfaction of the Game of Thrones ending was a predictable and b avoidable, and that's what makes it worse. Uh yes. they didn't even get to an ending that was like, nah, your philosophy isn't all the way there and your action isn't all the way there. Like they didn't even meet that bar. Most shows, I think most shows have dissatisfying endings because the nature of a, of a television show is to continue and it is just not in their nature to tell a final story. The most successful television endings and it like are the ones that sort of acknowledge the limitations of the medium in some respect. Like I won't get to, I won't describe these, any of these other endings at length, but Mad Men, Twin Peaks, Paranoia Agent, Neon Genesis Evangelion. These are my favorite TV shows. Those, those are them. All of them in one way or another turn the camera around at the very end and demand to demand interrogation with their very existence, you know, with their, the medium and the point that they're making and the desires of the person watching. In one way or another, they flip that because that's the only way to end it is to confront the act of telling the story to begin with. Right. What makes this ending so powerful and it makes me tear up every single time, including earlier today. I wasn't expecting it. I was, I was emotionally prepared. I thought I was ready, but nope. When Shinji just openly says, I hate myself. I hate who I am. But maybe there's a way there, but I now know that there is a way that I could be someone that I don't hate. That's the, that's the whole point. Like it is the most honest breakthrough. And I've gone through periods of my life where I thought that that was me, where I've been Shinji in the chair, coming to that realization, needing to be led to that realization. Mm -hmm. And now what makes it so powerful is that I just, I'm rooting for the kid. Mm -hmm. I'm rooting for him so hard to get there because it's so hard to get there. And all of the, that's the incredible thing is that all of this is to reach what is the smallest victory the desire to be alive the the sense that you don't have to be a version of yourself that you hate forever it's the smallest victory but it's the most crucial one and it takes all of this all of this work all of this pain and agony all of this these trials and tribulations this hero's journey this five act structure all of the angels all of that that's what it takes to get 
that small victory and it's fucking worth it. And that's what makes the show worth it to me because it makes you feel that and you, you do. Yeah. I, I agree completely. It's for all of its faults and the show does have faults. Mm-hmm. Uh, We've talked about them. The end as an adult watching it, I find it absolutely satisfying. Although I, I understand why some people don't like it, but it's sort of like um, medicine isn't supposed to taste good. It's supposed to be medicine. Mm -hmm. Like if if you don't dig the end to to Evangelion, the show, that means maybe you need to reckon with it. I think I could be wrong. I understand that, but that's, that's where I get to it. Right. I have met a few people who maybe just they don't have to reckon with it and never really did on that level. And that's why like some people don't need to learn this lesson this way. You know, lucky them. (laughs) Sorry, that was that was that was maybe presumptuous. It's fair. It's fair because I feel the same way. Like, I wish that this hadn't been such a hard part of my life coming to face my self-hatred and move on from it you know right like that i i don't wish that on anyone and that's why the ending is really powerful to me now on the other side of it you know of the continual fight to for self-worth and self-value is rooting for shinji to to make that same breakthrough Mm mm-hmm yeah. And that's why it ends with that, the congratulations, because it's something that all of these characters, all of us, I, I would I presume all of us need to do at some point or another is to confront the the death drive, the urge to run away from pain. And to say, no, I, I choose to live instead. I think that's that's why it has to end the way that it does. And uh, yeah, I get it if it's not everyone's cup of tea, but. It is mine. I agree. But if you don't like it, uh, <laughs> there is a whole nother version. If you want it, and we're going to talk about it. Uh, we are going to talk about it. But you might not want it by the time you're done with it, which is, I think, kind of part of why I can't reject End of Evangelion either. Like, I, I, need, them, I need them both. I think they complement one another because I think the other ending is Ano saying catharsis is so good i'll give you so much catharsis you'll puke you can't always get the fan service that you want but you might find out about the fan service you really need goodbye joseph i can't believe i let you do that Thank you for listening. If you liked the episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. If you want to share your thoughts on the show or about anything really, email us at humaninstrumentalitypodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at another Avapod and on Instagram at humaninstrumentalitypod. 
extra special thanks to Kira Anderson for the graphics and web design. See you next week.